Good morning, everyone. My name is Kevin Lagora. I'm the product specialist from Skywatcher here in North America. Um, this is our What's Up webcast. We do this every Friday, uh, 10 a.m. Pacific, and we try to do a different topic every week. And um, at the end of every month, we have a special guest come on um, to talk about either their products or whatever we really feel like talking about. So. Um, this week we're actually really uh, pleased to have uh, our good friend Michael Hattie from Starlight Express. Uh, you've probably heard of their cameras. They've been around for 30 years making astronomical cameras. Uh, they are based in the UK and uh, Michael's going to be here to talk about some of their products and kind of show us around what they do. And of course at the end of every webcast we'll save about 10-15 minutes or so depending on how many questions are built up. And we'll do a Q&A at the end. So um, without further ado, um, I'm going to bring Michael on here in a second. Um, if there's ever a topic uh, you want us to cover, you can always email us at support at skywatcherusa.com and just title it What's Up um, and tell us what you want us to take a look at. And then, of course, you can always subscribe to this channel to just keep an eye on new videos that are coming. We're working on new uh, product videos, informative videos. So if you need help with your Skywatcher stuff, we're working on those as well. Um, and then, of course, our What's Up webcast videos that we do every week. So uh, let's get started. I'm going to bring Michael in here real quick. And we've got a double camera set up this, uh, this morning, so it's going to be... Kind of new, um, so let's get this going. So, hey, Michael, how are you doing this morning? Hi, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Good. Well, I, I guess it's not morning where you are. It's no, it's uh, it's actually uh, it's, it's dinner time now. It's six o'clock in the evening. So, well, uh, thanks for joining us on a Friday evening um, to show us about all your goodies and stuff like that. So. Um, I'm quite familiar with Starlight. Um, we've obviously worked with Starlight. Um, I'm sorry, my head is covering Michael completely. There we go. Okay. Um, that's better. So this is Michael over here, everyone. Um, if you've had the chance to uh, meet him at a trade show, um, he's obviously been there representing Starlight. And... Um, any any of the major imaging shows like uh, Neef, NIAC, AIC, and maybe you've met him at some of the other um, uh, locations. He does travel quite a bit. So um, anyway, Michael is here from the Starlight headquarters over in the UK. And uh, so we're going to get started just seeing what they've got um, to offer and just a little bit about Starlight. But I, I ask everybody that comes on here as a special guest, um, just to kind of break the ice. How did you yourself get into the astronomy world? Okay, so my name is Michael Hattie. Uh, I'm the managing director of Starlight Express. So um, as Kevin mentioned, we've been uh, designing, manufacturing uh, cooled CCD cameras for astronomy uh, for over 30 years now. Um, we actually started the company back in 1989, and um, there were three of us, myself, uh, Terry Platt, who some of you may know, um, another chap called Reg Payne, um, who uh, actually owned a company that both Terry and I formerly worked for. 
Um, so this started up uh, as a bit of a as a hobby, as most of these small businesses do. Um, and uh, around about 1989, um, we uh, we had a, a small uh, electronics lab. Terry was a, a budding um, astronomer and he's made his own telescopes and going back even as far as the mid 50s he was doing some form of well sorry mid 50s late early 60s um using a uh, vidicon camera so he was actually putting um what most people would now or back in the sort of 80s 90s would look at as a video camera actually onto a telescope and uh was then imaging um, had a, DS, a normal SLR camera imaging the screen of uh, of a little TV monitor. Um, so he's got some pretty good sort of Saturn images, even back in the 50s and 60s, through doing this. Um, then sort of early, um, mid-80s, 1980s, uh, he decided to build, he actually bought his first CCD. Um, well, actually, Reg bought it for him. And uh, he designed his own um, camera uh, from a, a, a Sony part. It was a, an I, ICX um, 027, I think it was. Um, so it was a fairly low resolution sort of video type camera. And um, he designed a, a frame store system, which he used to um, grab the image and actually uh, display the image using a Sinclair Spectrum. So that would date it. I mean, this is all well before uh, Kevin's time. Um, and uh, and then, as I say, around about um, the late 80s, um, going into early 90s, sort of 89, 90, uh, we actually designed a frame store system. Um, if you're interested, I actually have one of the, well, this is, um, this is actually, Terry's uh, Vidicon system that he played about with. I just say it's um, incredibly Heath Robinson. Um, and uh, I'm not sure I'd like to power it up at the moment, but uh, that was, um, you see there, typical uh, sort of dials on the back there from a homemade type system. Um, and then from there, we went and built a frame source system which was something similar to this. The original ones were not quite as glamorous, um, if you call this glamorous, um, but they had another box as well, another control box in between. Um, and this was the, the very first of the cameras that uh, we had. Uh, we had a, a small tube here, which um, silica gel could go in to stop the uh, CCD freezing over. And this was sat on a, a Peltier cooler so I don't know if you can actually see inside there. There's the actual camera itself. Um, we oh, made can you these. Probably... Show them real quick again, Michael. I can flip to that. Um, okay. There, there we you go. go. That's the actual frames. That's the actual CCD there, and that's the uh, the frame store system. As I say, it's all done by switches, and uh, there was a effectively a button to um, initiate the exposure, and it was a a thumb wheel switch to actually control the exposure time. Um, in sort of a, a binary format. So that was the original system. Um, then we went over, whoop, as uh, 
computers got a little bit more powerful, we started using the computer to um, act as the um, as the main control for the camera. So we had this system here, which was actually um, driven through the parallel port of the camera. That's where the computer, um, which was significantly faster than the other cameras on the market by another fairly well-known company. At the time, they were using serial ports. Um, and then we designed this um, uh, cast uh, camera body, which again had um, a tube on the side, which silica went into. Um, and these cooled down to about minus 30 degrees below ambient. Um, and then from there, um, back into going back towards the, um, I guess, mid 90s by this time. And we were selling throughout um, throughout Europe, throughout the UK. And we also sold some to the uh, to, to uh, the US as well. We've actually got one customer <clears throat> who is still using his original frame system, uh, frame source system, um, a chap called Eric. And uh, He's, uh, it's still working even after all these years. And that must be, we, every time I see him at a show, he uh, comes up and tells me he's still using it. Mm. Um, so that his system, I think is about 28 years old now. Um, and as of last year, certainly it was still running. <clears throat> so if you compare what uh, we were doing um, sort of 25 years ago to 30 years ago, and then we go all the way to a complete camera in something that sort of size now, which is the same sort of size as an eyepiece. Um, and then we have various other cameras, um, which are, are the cooled cameras. So obviously, depending on the size of the CCD, uh, we need a bigger body, uh, more cooling, etc. So that's basically a very brief history of Starlight. Um, as I say, we've uh, uh, we we sell throughout the world. Um, we have dealers in most continents and uh, quite a few countries now. I think it's something like. 30 different dealers uh, in the in the world. Very cool. Um, now, I I know you sell a ton of different things now, um, from guide cameras to large format to all kinds of things, and I know we're going to kind of go through some of that stuff today. So it was cool to hear the Starlight history, but now that's even evolved uh, past cameras, um, can you tell us a little bit about you know some of the more i guess for lack of a better term some of the exotic accessories you have i know you've you guys have worked on spectrographs and uh, you've got some other uh, systems that you could put in line with a camera to really uh, advance the capabilities of the starlight systems yeah so one of the key things um back in around about um uh, I suppose the turn of the century, the twin, around about 2000, 1999, 2000. Um, we, in, in those days, um, the uh, telescope mounts were somewhat questionable um, unless you paid a reasonable amount of money for them. Um, so, uh, and most people were tending to do a lot of imaging through SCTs. So we, you were using long focal length typically smaller sensors um, and um, the drive systems weren't particularly great. Um, now, at that point, we thought, well, how about if we created um, an optical system to move the image around the CCD um, to actually compensate for uh, poor drives? Um, so effectively, you're having um, 
uh, a very quick um, auto guider feedback into the system. So rather than using the mounts motors to slow up and, and, and speed up, etc., um, we would actually move the optics of the um, of the system. So we came up. Uh, so originally we we played about. Um, uh, we actually tried uh, flexible prisms, which was uh, an interesting um, thing to do. Uh, so we actually had um, so optical uh, compound between two plates, and uh, we were actually flexing that, and that worked very well. Um, the biggest problem we had was actually creating um, a, an airtight um, a body, effectively for the prism, um, and also getting primarily getting all the bubbles out of the uh, of the optical um, paste. Uh, so what we decided to do was actually do a straight inline system. So this is our active optics unit. Uh, we use a, a 13 millimeter piece of crown glass um, in uh, in the system. Uh, it's 60 millimeters in diameter, so it covers most CCDs. It will actually just about cover the 16803, so 35 by 35 millimeter sensors. Um, the idea of this is uh, we use a refractive index of the glass to actually move the image path, uh, move the image light coming through um, from the telescope onto the sensor. Um, we normally have a, um, a pick-off prism on the back here, um, or what you can do is use one of our filter wheels with a pick-off prism, and that would go effectively directly behind it. So the guide camera would um, pick up any small changes in guide error. And instead of sending information back to the mount, uh, we actually use stepper motors to correct for the, for the, uh, the, the change. Um, the advantage of using stepper motors is that um, we can actually um, quantify exactly where the optical system is at any one point. So that if, the, if you have drift in one direction, your alignment isn't perfect. Um, this will actually control your mount as well. So as um, it approaches around about sort of 30, 40, 50% of full deviation, you can set that. It will actually start bumping your mount back the other way and optically correcting for that bump as well um, during the process. So in theory, uh, and it actually in practice, these work incredibly well, especially with um, long focal length systems. Um, but effectively you can set this running um, at the beginning of the night and uh, and this will uh, as i say control your telescope and also the optics um all the way through the night now, i so know there's probably is... some i'm sorry um i know there's probably okay. some confusion for people um because this is what you'd call uh active optics rather than adaptive optics like That's the professional correct, yes. telescopes use so um there's a difference between it's it's kind of functioning on the same mentality um mm -hmm. but it handles it differently in a way as well so yeah so um active optics to actually uh, sorry ad adaptive optics as most people know it um that tends to be running at um, a few hundred hertz. So you're taking maybe three or 400 corrections per second, and that's actually trying to take out the seeing um, errors. 
and um, on the big telescopes, as, as most of you know, that they fire a laser into the sky and they'll monitor that laser. Now, what we're trying to do um, is adapt for um, the mount um, errors. And um, the, we can make very, very quick and very um, exact corrections. And the advantage of that is that even on a system, I mean, we've got a, one of our systems is um, uh, a software BISC uh, MX uh, with a FSQ 106. So we're only running at sort of 500, 550 millimeter focal length. Um, and if you put the active optics actually on the back, you can tell um, whether the active optics is switched on or switched off um, by the final image, because even with that shorter focal length, you can actually get really pinpoint stars because what you're doing is focusing all the light onto the stars um, uh, rather than um, it averaging over over many stars, uh, sorry, many pixels. Um, so these do work incredibly well. They're actually, it's one of those things that most people um, probably don't think they need um, because they have a good mount, they have a, a relatively long focal length, but you know that they, they, they cope very well. Um, but the introduction of one of these into your system, if you have the back focus, um, makes a tremendous difference. And um, I know images that have been imaging with their systems for sort of 15 years or so, uh, and they finally decide to, to put one of these in their system. And uh, they come back and they say, you know, for the first time ever, I've actually got pinpoint stars. Um, so that they, it does make a, quite a difference. Um, is there um, like a recommended scope or I know you said it works on a variety, even the FSQ. Um, but for someone who's watching that's interested in adding this, is there any kind of recommended scopes that you feel this works best on or focal lengths even? So the, uh, you're going to really see a difference um, if you're using a focal length of maybe one and a half meters upwards. Um, that's when you really start seeing the difference. So if you have a, an SCT um, or something similar uh, with a with a one and a half, two meter, two and a half meter, three meter, whatever um, focal length, then this will make a big difference. Um, as I say, you can see a difference with shorter focal length systems, um, but it's obviously less apparent. Um, so, uh, as I, you know, I've always said that um, to, to customers, if you know, 1.2 to 1.5 meter focal length is where you start to see the difference between the um, the active optics really working well for you or not. And does that feed off of an auto guider? Like, does an auto guider collect the data to make it, or how does it know what the how to adjust itself? Yeah. So the um, the auto guider sits behind the active optics window as well as the main camera. So the light path coming through gets deflected, small part of it gets deflected up into the auto guider. Um, as I say, if you had a system with this, it would be effectively coupled like that. Um, there we go. So that um, the light would pass through the, the front of the optics into the um, prism up to the guide camera. And then because the guide camera and the main camera are par focal with each other, any corrections you make for your guide star or your guide camera will be correcting for the optics um, actually in the, in the main camera. Got it.
Well, very so cool. we do two versions of the, the AO. We do one with um, an active, uh, with a OAG on the back, uh, which is this one here. So this one just goes on the back here. Um, and then we have different adapters for the back of that. And then the guy camera just sits on the top here. Um, or we do it without. Um, and it still comes with, uh, say, a, a T-thread and an M72 um, thread adapter. Um, but that allows you to put it either on one of the filter wheels with, with an OAG already built into it. Um, or there are some cameras with OAG built actually into the camera itself. Nice. And if you guys want any more information on it, you can go to their website, which we should link in the description of this video. So that's all that information's on there. And then you can always email them if you have any other questions yeah, about the- Yeah, Happy to answer questions. The AOU. Yeah, this is, it's, um, it's powered by 12 volt DC and has is actually controlled by uh, a USB. Um, the, the new ones in USB, we did actually do a, a, an older version, which was uh, serial port, um, but all the new ones have uh, USB control. Now, for anybody who's interested, and I know we're, we're kind of chewing up time, so I'll try to plow through this quick. Um, for anybody who's actually interested in doing, like, science work, you also have, actually, it's the second generation spectrograph that you guys have been working on. Yeah, so this is this is actually the original one. Um, so this is a 200-line, um, uh, sorry, it's a 2,000 resolution uh, spectrograph. Um the light comes in here. We use um, a slightly different method to other um, spectrographs. We don't have any collimating lenses, which means that um, it's incredibly robust. It means that it's uh, it's not susceptible to temperature change at all. Um, but we use a um, holographic astigmatic grating. So the um, the grating actually takes out the astigmatism within the system. Um, it's a six position slit. Uh, which you can rotate. Um, we have a built-in um, lodestar in the side here. So the lodestar itself um, sits in front of the slit. And what we do when we go through the calibration process, will tell you which pixel is um, effectively par focal with the slit position. So within PHD, um, you can choose a, um, a crosshairs in the in the, in the setup in the setup. Sorry, um, and then when you put the star that you're trying to do your spectrum of um, actually on that slit on that uh, on the software, um, then it's on the slit in the system. Um, and the advantage of that is that we can use the whole field of view from the load star to find the object and center on it and um, actually fix on the uh, the actual star we're looking at. Um, but also we can guide on that star or that object. It doesn't have to be an individual star, it could be a nebula. Um, or you can choose a star anywhere in the field of view to actually guide on as well. Um, the main camera itself sits on the back here um, and you can focus it. Um, we can move it along the spectrum. The spectrum is about 31 millimeters long um, from about uh, 380 nanometers, sorry, 340 nanometers up to 900 nanometers. So it's quite a large spectrum. And we even go down into the UV a little bit as well. Um, but the, the latest thing, is, as Kevin just mentioned, we are just about to release our version two, which looks almost identical but the main difference is 
that we have automated the focusing of the main camera, uh, the control of the auto guider. We have a built-in reference lamp and flat field lamp within the system as well. Um, and we can also rotate the slit and move the camera along the spectrum um, all remotely. It's all controlled via one USB cable. Uh, so that's uh, a new generation. We have actually just started shipping them, um, but we're going to be ship, uh, it, releasing more information on those over the next week or so. So awesome. that's really, we're really excited about that because we're the first, there aren't any other um, spectrographs on the market that you can actually use remotely. And a lot of the people that are doing this um, are doing this remotely now. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's pretty exciting. Very cool. I know moving through the accessories after you've gone through those two, you kind of get to more of the standard accessories. And one of them that I really like is your filter wheels. And what I think is kind of cool about your filter wheels is that they actually have the off-axis guider built into them, which, uh, you know, for anybody who's watched our webcast a couple of weeks ago, we talked about setting up your imaging train where you're uh, adding all these things that Michael's talked about so far eats up the back focus. So what's nice about these filter wheels is that the OAG or the off-axis guider is actually built into the wheel itself. So it, it actually allows to maintain a thinner back focus. But I know you've just added a new wheel to where now all three of the wheels have the OAG built into it. Yeah, so um, we have the, the mini wheel over here. This is a five position, one and a quarter, um, or five position, 36 millimeter filter uh, wheel with the OAG built in. Um, then we had the, the maxi wheel. Now this is really for the very large format cameras, um, or we did actually, uh, we had a customer the other day that's doing photometry and wanted uh, 10 positions filter wheel. Uh, we actually do it 11 position, one and a quarter inch for this as well. Um, and then we've just released, or well, about a few months ago, released this. This is a seven position, one and a quarter inch um, filter wheel. Uh, this is called the MIDI wheel. And uh, as Kevin said, it's got built-in off-axis guider. Uh, it has a C-mount thread to it. So our Lodestar um, and Ultrastar sit on there perfectly. You can use other um, guide cameras if you wish, um, but the Lodestar is still renowned for being the best guide camera on the market. Um, these are all controlled and powered through the USB. Um, with the mini wheel, sorry, the MIDI wheel and the maxi wheel, we also have a serial port if you are, a, um, uh, if you do want to use serial port, um, it is possible to do that. So although um, you know, we sell probably only one or two of those cables a year, uh, the vast majority of people use the USB. Um, the, the primary design of this is that with our camera, uh, with the back focus that uh, Kevin mentioned, a lot of the uh, focal reducers that have come on a lot of the refractors these days um, tend to have a very short back focus. So um, we designed this, so we actually hit that sweet spot of about 55 millimeters. Um, so if you have um, any other uh, reducers that they tend to be 55 generally the the minimum some are maybe 69 or so forth but uh, this will actually go directly onto the back of the focal reducer on a lot of the uh, the skywatcher um, uh, esprit systems um, and it's actually 
perfectly um, balanced for the focus for that. Awesome. So if we quickly go through the main, the actual cameras themselves, one of the reasons we love USB um, for the filter wheels and the main guide camera itself is that um, probably six, seven years ago, we actually designed um, a USB hub built into the main camera. So your guide camera and your uh, filter wheel can all be powered and driven from the back of the main camera. So effectively, you only have one USB cable going back to the computer um, plus your 12 volt DC. Uh, so the advantage of that obviously is less cable drag, um, keeping things nice and tidy. Um, the amount of people that uh, trip over or snag cables during the uh, during the slewing process uh, is always quite significant. So reducing the, the amount of cables that you need makes it very important. Um, we've always gone very much for the modular type system. You can obviously buy cameras with filter wheels built in. But the problem with that is that uh, if you decide to remove that, uh, you, this deep sky imaging camera and put a planetary camera and you want to do some fil use filters, then you've got to go and buy another set of filters and you've got to buy another filter wheel, et cetera. With, with our system is just remove the camera and um, put the other camera on, um, which obviously saves costs in the long run and uh, makes it very much easier. Now, speaking of cameras, you've you guys have a couple different uh, models of them. Um, probably too many to show, but you've kind of got three major types. You've obviously got the guiders. You've got the 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 standard range. And then you've got the large format cameras. So, can you kind of run us through some of the different uh, cameras you guys offer? Sure. So, um, these are the two main. Uh, guide cameras. These are the, the Lodestar and the Ultrastar. Uh, trying to get the light correct. Um, so it's difficult to see, but the Ultrastar effectively has um, a CCD that's about twice the area of the Lodestar. So that gives you twice the more opportunity to find a guide star. Saying that, um, uh, I mean, I use the Lodestar and I've never, ever, ever been in a position where I haven't been able to find a guide star. Um, my biggest problem generally is that uh, I've got too many guide stars and I have to shorten the exposure back to try and eliminate some of them. Um, so these are the these are the complete guide cameras. So they have USB on the back um, and they also have uh, an RJ12 cable on the back as well, which is your guider cable that goes to your auto guider port. Um, so these these two are, as I say, renowned for being the best guide cameras on the market. All our products now are all laser engraved, um, which is a nice touch as well, I think. Um, we then go to the main cameras. Uh, these are the, we now got a blue edition camera. Um, we kept being asked, um, do you do any other colors other than black? Because black's the traditional color that we've always used. So we've now released the blue edition. Um, so we have a select number of cameras um, uh, or different types of CCDs that are available in the uh, in the blue cameras, uh, primarily the Sony versions of the camera. So this is the um, complete camera. So again, it's USB 2 on the back, built-in USB hub, um, 12 volt DC. We also have a, an auto guider port here, just in case you really wanted to use this as an auto guider, or you can route the auto guider information through the main camera. 
So we have a, um, a fused silica window, which um, as the body of the camera warms up, the fused silica warms up because it has better heat transfer properties than normal glass. And that stops dew forming on the front of the sensor or on the front window, sorry. Um, this plate here is um, actually movable. So you can collimate. If you have any issues with collimation, you can actually take it out um, on the actual camera itself. The um, chamber itself is purged with argon. So these are all purged um, with argon gas and typically two or three stage coolers, depending on the sensor. Uh, and we typically get about minus 45 degrees um, below, uh, below ambient on the cooling, even in such a small package like this. Um, we have a very, very efficient cooling system in here. Um, and we take advantage of surface area um, and uh, and obviously the, the, the Pelti coolers um, and a small fan in the back as well. Uh, we do have an add-on fan if you're using it in warm environments as well. Um, so these are our most popular cameras. And then we have um, some of the larger format cameras, uh, such as this one. This is a the 16803, so this is a 35 by 35 millimeter, nine micron pixel uh, camera. Um, we've actually gone back to the old Hasselblad days um, because these actually require a shutter. So instead of having um, a much bigger camera and much heavier, we've actually used a roller blind shutter, uh, which is what they used to use in the Hasselblad cameras. Um, these are cooled down to about minus 50 glow ambient. Um, we have obviously a slightly more rigorous cooling on these because their sensor's bigger. And um, the same USB hub, 12 volt DC and USB two. And these weigh around about two pounds, just over two pounds. Um, so they are relatively light, um, even in respect to the size. And again, all uh, engraved on the back, et cetera. Now you um, offer that these, particular uh, model, or that's the this is the sixteen eight hundred three, but you guys also have a sixteen two hundred. If someone wants, we do. That popular yeah, we sensor. have the sixteen two hundred as well. Um, it's in exactly the same format. Um, we also use sapphire windows on these, um, which has even better heat transfer properties um, for when um, uh, the the sensor's cooling. It tends to cool the front window and uh, tends to form condensation on the front. Um, but obviously, by using uh, Sapphire uh, with this one, we, we overcome that. And again, it's argon filled. And then you guys also offer, uh, obviously, you have monochrome and color chips, depending on what you're looking for. But I know a lot of the, a lot of your smaller cameras um, use the Sony sensors. And if no one's really familiar with some of the Sony CCDs, they're incredibly low noise. Um, super clean chips um i know i've got a 694 from you guys and that's probably one of the most popular ones um it's a nice balance to fit on a lot of different scopes with the pixel size um and obviously if you need something a little bit smaller uh microns pixel size you have the 814 but um there's some other sensors that you guys have started to add as well i believe yeah, we have the 834 as well, which has, I think, 3.1 micron pixels. That's a 12 megapixel version of the, the 694 camera that you mentioned. Um, so with those, we tend to we tend to be try we, we, we do try and 
um, encourage our uh, our customers to try and match the focal length with the pixel size. Um, the advantage of CCD cameras is you can bin the pixels. So if you do have a very short focal length refractor, um, say maybe a, a four or 500 millimeter refractor, then you can take advantage of the smaller pixels. Then if you want to put it on a slightly longer focal length refractor or um, a short focal length SCT or something similar, then you can bin the pixels, which is something you can't do on some other technology as well. Um, and that makes the CCD cameras very versatile. Um, so where I know Starlight's been around for 30 years, where do you guys see yourself going as you progress further into the future? Obviously, that obviously you're willing to tell. <laughs> so, um, so we've always tried to be innovative. Um, so we were the first ones to use USB, um, well, the first to use parallel port. Um, the first to use USB, um, we have patents on our active optics unit. Uh, we were the first to use USB 2. Um, we're the first to use the USB hubs in the back of cameras. The first to use um, the tilt plate at the front of the cameras. So we, we're always trying to be innovative um, and also the way we've designed our spectrograph. Um, obviously CMOS is um, a becoming a big thing. Um, what we're actually finding is some people are actually moving away from CMOS and coming to CCDs. Um, but uh, CMOS is getting better um, and we are keeping an eye on it. We, we are playing with some CMOS sensors, um, but uh, there are other aspects of imaging that we are also looking at as well. Can't really say much at the moment, um, but there are other versions of uh, other other technologies um, that we think um, are interesting um, and uh, not necessarily the way forward for everybody. Um, but uh, there are some um, some interesting sensors on the market that may not really have hit the market just yet. Very cool. I know as you know, even at Skywatcher, we constantly have stuff that we're working on. So you can only say so much um, when you're working on new things. But that's the nice thing is you can always uh, plan for a lot of the astronomical uh, manufacturers are constantly trying to move things forward in their own way. So um, always keep a keep an eye out uh, for what they're working on. Um, I know we have a couple questions. We'll try to chew through a little bit more time and then we'll jump into all of those um one thing i'd like to let people know is like the ultra star uh guide cameras that's actually what i started imaging with um just to get my feet wet i didn't know if i wanted to do imaging or not but um i was able to try out an ultra star and because it has that sony sensor and really low noise it doesn't have any cooling on it 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 actually is an effective little thing to to start learning with especially if you slap like a hydrogen alpha filter on these monochrome mm -hmm. versions um but what i really like about the ultra star is it's an incredibly effective little camera for outreach programs i actually use one for live stacking at my outreach events and what i like about the those little guide cameras is while they are ccd so they're fairly clean um i can bin it and they're really sensitive um 
but what's cool is they only run off of one USB. So if you are running out in the field and you're doing outreach um, and you want to do live stacking for you know school groups and stuff like that, um, the little guide cameras that Michael has uh, shown us earlier um, can be really effective little tools for that because they're so small, they're really convenient, and they only have one cable to run the whole system. So that's just from my personal experience if you're looking to do that. Um, I've kind of switched up to the 694 personally, a uh, little bit more field of view and then kind of a main imaging camera. Um, but you guys still have some of the, the older fan favorite chips like the 11,000 series. Um, you still have yes, those. Yes, we do. Yeah, we still have the... Actually, I have one here. So, yeah, this is the, uh, the 11,002, which is the uh, um, one a lot of people... Um, used to use probably uh it's it's still relatively popular um but the main reason is if you're as we mentioned earlier trying to match your focal length with pixel size this one actually has native nine micron pixels um in 11 million of them um so it may not be the most sensitive camera quantum efficiency wise um but having those big pixels makes it a really quite sensitive camera um, so this is still um, a really, really good option if you're using it um, on so like a, a large SCT or a CDK or something like that. Um, we also have its brother as well, which is the uh, 16 meg version, which has a uh, 7.4 micron pixels um, in the same 35 millimeter format. So this is a full frame sensor. Again, we use the, the tip tilt um, option um, to get any, uh, any issues out of any... Um, uh, collimation, um, it, not necessarily with the camera, but anywhere else on your optical system. Yeah, we have an 11,000 uh, camera here at Skywatcher that we use for testing on uh, illuminating full frame and stuff like that. So that camera is uh, pretty substantial. Um, it's a lot of real estate. Uh, what's nice about that 11,000 sensor is you can get away with the smaller 50 millimeter round filters, uh, which are less expensive than the more exotic square 50 millimeter filters. Uh, we actually have an observatory we're finishing um, in partner with Starlight, where there's a we actually have one of their 16803s on the back of an Esprit 150, and with that there was no other choice but to go with the square filters, which are vastly more expensive. Um, so that's something to consider too when you're working with these larger format sensors is going to the larger sensors are going to also um, require you to really think about your filter arrangements especially stepping up to a 16803 um, it's a huge sensor um, and the only way you can work with it is getting those square filters which is definitely going to add to your your final price tag yeah, so you are talking a few thousand pounds for the filters alone so but what's um what i've actually found if a lot of people want to get larger sensors um so the most popular one that we see from a lot of our clientele um is the 16200 um that's a almost full frame it's APS-H um, and they actually make it in that same body format um that Michael's 16803. Uh, Actually, mine is in a case right uh, 
down here uh, put away at the moment because we're in the middle of monsoon season so it's not getting used at the moment but the if you're looking for like the ultimate camera to pair with a large refractor or anything like that the 16200 is quite a chip to take a look at um, if you're looking to upgrade into a larger uh, sensor so and starlight offers that um, as well in that larger frame body so it's it's a pretty and i like it because it also has the shutter built in so it's really easy to do darks um you just let it do it and shutter goes on and it's it's kind of nice to have so um i know we have a couple questions uh for you michael so i'm going to try to peruse uh through some of these um okay this comes from Jay. Uh, question on binning. What focal length slots aperture do you actually recommend for binning? Um, well, it depends on your initial size of pixel. Um, if you have um, the, the, the 694 is a really, really lovely sensor. It has um, about four and a half micron, 4.54 micron pixels. Um, so if you're using a refractor up to probably around about 1200 millimeter focal length. Um, that pixel size is great. Um, you're probably oversampling at that point. Um, but if you go much beyond that, um, depending on your scene as well, um, if your skies are, are really, really good, um, then you can get away with using um, full resolution. Uh, but if you're seeing on a particular day, I know I was imaging the other week and uh, we are having horrendous uh, weather at the moment here in the UK. Um, the scene was so poor that I just binned the pixels two by two um, because there was no way, there was no reason for it to be used um, in full resolution um, because uh, um, I wasn't getting anywhere close to the seeing um, conditions. But if you're in, you know, obviously if you're in the desert or you're um, 5,000 feet up or something, then uh, um, the seeing does become quite apparent, but you, it really is a case of matching the pixel size with um, with the focal length. Have yeah, answers that question. Um, actually, this comes from Uza Alpha. Sorry, I probably butchered that. Uh, Michael, can you speak to your All Sky and Occupy products? That's actually a good uh, thing to be brought up because you guys do make All Sky cameras. We do, yeah. So it's one of the things I didn't have in my cabinet. So uh, we do. We have an all-sky camera. Um, it uses a um, Sony sensor. It's uncalled, um, but even so, um, typically um, you're using only up to about 30-second exposures. Um, and we, the tests we do in the UK um, in our site here, we're getting sort of eight, ninth magnitude stars in around about 25 to 30-second exposures. Um, and we're in a fairly light polluted area. Um, so the the All Sky camera is great. It has um, a, a dome. Um, it's got built-in dew heaters. Uh, the the actual camera itself is run off USB um, in the same way these small guy cameras are. Uh, so ideally, you want the computer nearby. Um, however, we do a what we call an Occupy, which is effectively a Raspberry Pi controller. Um, that's built into an IP rated box. So the, 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 the actual sky camera is designed to be left out in all weathers. Um, and uh, the, this IP rated uh, controller is also designed to be uh, left in all weathers as well. So, um, and what that does, that creates a, a Wi-Fi connection, or if you want to, you can 
cable in with uh, Ethernet or something similar, um, and then you can control the um, the Occupy, uh, sorry, the Oculus, your Sky Camera from the Occupy via a tablet or a mobile phone or something similar. So you guys, um, I this is I actually have one of these um, for my outreach program. I use it for tracking uh, meteors. Um, but this was for the Perseid meteor shower. Um, this is just a time lapse off of that uh, Oculus camera. And I just wanted to show that there. Let me bring this up a little bit higher quality here. But just to give you an idea of like what you can do with these, uh, this is an Oculus uh, camera right here. I just set up on the roof. I didn't catch any meteors that night, unfortunately. And this is stitched time lapse that you have to stitch afterwards. But you can see that it really does capture um, the night sky quite well. We've tested this uh, at Texas Star Party a couple of years ago um, as well, and it does really nicely to catch the Milky Way and all of that. So this is really effective if you've got an observatory and you want to keep an eye about what's going on outside. So, or like I said, I use it for outreach for meteor uh meteor showers and trying to catch some of that so uh, that right there was uh, an oculus in in the works and that's um, another thing that you can catch on the starlight websites should all, all the detail on all the products are there but it's it's a pretty cool little thing yeah the one advantage of the um, the oculus over some of the other all sky cameras is um, some of the other uh, less expensive ones tend to be just video cameras so they're fine for daytime um, and very you know you can see whether there is a, a small bit of a cloud but you can't get any real depth into the um, the night sky um, whereas uh, this one because it's it's the same as all of our other CCD cameras it is a uh, an actual fixed you set up the exposure time so I say it takes about 0.3 uh, sorry, 0.6 per second to download the image. So you have effectively a 30 second image, a one second or so um, downtime, and then you're taking another 30 second image, another one second downtime, etc. And then, as Kevin said, in the morning, um, you can compile that into a, an AVI and sit there and watch the whole night sky. Or um, if you if you do what I do, I've, I've got a small computer, I just team viewer in, have a quick look, make sure it's still um, uh, it's clear outside and I don't need to get up and uh, go and close everything down. Um, so uh, it, it's, it does work incredibly well and we sell a lot of them to um, obviously people with remote observatories but also to um, a lot of uh, businesses doing light monitoring of the sky as well. To get a couple of those, the national parks track the sky. That's right, there. yes, yes, that's right. Um, there was a question earlier from uh, Guzzi Alpha. I can finally say it right. Um, he was asking what kind of USBs uh, you guys use. I think they're all 2.0s on all the current models. They are all 2.0 at the moment. Yeah, we haven't gone over to three on any of our CCD cameras. Um, and then if anybody's interested in the the filter wheels, um, each you've got three filter wheels that we talked about, but. Um, obviously the mini, which is on the right side there, the smallest one, that's uh, five position only inch and a quarter. But the two larger ones, you actually have optional carousels for other filters if a customer were to need that. Yeah, we have, um, so for the midi, uh, which is the medium size one, 
um, we have uh, seven times one and a quarter, seven times 36 unmounted, um, five position two inch, five position 50 millimeter unmounted. Um, and then with the large one, we have uh, 11 position um, one and a quarter, 11 position 36 unmounted, uh, nine position two inch, nine position 50 mil unmounted and a seven position 50 millimeters square unmounted as well. So that's quite a beast of a, uh, of a filter wheel. Yeah, here's a, uh, this is a nine position uh, two inch. Let me make myself bigger here just so you guys can see this. But this is the nine position uh, two inch threaded. Yeah, two inch threaded. So as you can see from my head, these are big. <laughs> Um, this is like a frisbee. Um, so when you get these big filter wheels, uh, just be prepared because you know you're stepping up to some really big territory. When you've got those big sensor cameras, um, everything gets bigger. So something to to keep track of. Uh, okay, we're getting to the end of our webcast here. Do any of you have any other questions for Michael before we get close to wrapping anything up? Go ahead and uh, type that in the chat, and I'll try to get that over to him. Um, if you want to know anything about the Starlight products, uh, their website is www.sxccd.com. Um, it should already be in the description of this video. If not, we'll, we'll put that in here um, shortly. And then all the specs on all their equipment, of course, is on there. And then any of their contact information is also on there. Uh, do remember they are in the UK, so there's there's going to be some time difference if you are here in the US um, or anywhere else in the world trying to get in touch. Um, some of your stuff does ship from the US. Um, yeah, so we do actually have a, um, a warehouse office um, in the US. It's actually in Burbank. Um, so we do hold a lot of our stock actually over in the US for effectively immediate shipment um the the very the larger cameras we tend to um keep here um because there's obviously quite a big investment to uh, have those sat on shelves um but uh, most of our cameras and our filter wheels and uh, um all sky cameras etc are all shipped virtually next day uh from the u.s very nice so yeah if you guys have any interest in these cameras you can get them pretty pretty quickly um which is nice uh, so and if you are a skywatcher customer these adapt really easily to a lot of our uh, equipment they have most of our reducers and imaging equipment um are stopped down to an m48 thread which starlight does offer adapters for that and then of course if you're using the larger stuff where you've got some unique back focus arrangement you might need a custom adapter made up but starlight has um red rings that will adapt to most of the popular threads and then you can obviously have someone like precise parts machine the, the back focus spacer that you might need especially if you start getting into more of the exotic stuff like the ao or if you are using a, one of the larger format cameras with the the, the maxi wheel on there um so something to something to think about but what's nice about the cameras themselves i think michael you can confirm um your cameras have a really shallow back focus um, natively, so it's easier yeah, to they're pair. All, they're all typically about 16 millimeter back focus, um, so uh, they're all pretty shallow. Um, so they, they they don't take up a great deal of back focus on your system. 
Um, one other question that came in, this is also from Guzzi Alpha. Um, what would be a reasonable fit for lunar imaging with the Skywatcher 180 Mac and a Starlight Express? Uh, so the 180 Mac has, what sort of focal length is that? That's, That's a uh, 2700 millimeter uh, focal length, F15. Right, okay. Um, well, for lunar imaging, you tend to want to use more video cameras, um, I'm guessing. Um, we tend to be more specialized in deep sky. Um, I have actually done some uh, lunar imaging with my setup, um, putting an H alpha filter, and uh, and there's also the um, Optolong uh, L enhanced uh, filter. Um, I put that on the front of the, scope, uh, the camera. Um, and uh, so, I mean, it depends on what you're you actually looking to do. Um, if you want to do mosaic, uh, then something like the 694 might be a, a good bet. Um, I mean, you've got a very bright object anyway. Um, so not really, uh, it's not really a field I'm, I'm overly uh, knowledgeable about, actually. I know when you're uh, doing lunar, solar, planetary work, you're generally working with these small, high-speed little, you know, webcam-esque um, cameras that shoot mm. a ton of frames really quickly. Um, so, like Michael said, the Starlight cameras are really designed for you know, deep sky imaging. It's not... I've, I have awesome images of the moon, the entire moon, um, with some of the larger sensors. But if, if, you're, if your goal is primarily to shoot high-res of the moon, um, at the moment I don't think this product line probably fits that needs um oh, yeah no so um because they are it's all about adapting your equipment to your desired uh goal so uh what starlight is really really designed to do is your deep sky um high resolution deep sky and scientific work for spectra um so if that's kind of your needs then they're they're put on the tools for that um but you can do some basic lunar i've done solar imaging with a 694 um as well um but it's you know it's kind of like adapting a screwdriver for a different type of head screw it's they it can work but it might not be ideal for that particular application um but that's that's yeah. true for anything so mm -hmm. um just adapting your equipment yeah to do that one thing to uh, to note is that you know uh, we're talking about long exposures um something like the 694 um we can actually i mean i'm a little bit lazy in some respects when i'm using the 694 i never take any calibration frames at all i don't do flats i don't do darks i don't do biases i um so uh and you can actually take um sort of half an hour exposures um with the 694 camera without having to subtract dark frames from them um use maybe a hot pixel killer or something like that um but the thermal noise and the read noise on these cameras are so low um we can take very long exposures without having to um worry about all the calibration frames that you do with uh, with other cameras perfect 
that pretty much wraps up our hour. Um, thank you guys for joining us. And uh, of course we do this every Friday night, or I'm sorry, 10 a.m. Pacific time. Um, so we do a different topic every week. Uh, big thanks to Michael and Starlight for taking the time out of your your day, uh, to especially on a Friday for late in the day, uh, spend time with us since we're just getting started here. Um, but thanks for showing some of your equipment there. If you guys have any interest in any Starlight products, it's www.sxccd.com. Um, if it's not in the description for this video, we'll go in and put that in uh, right afterwards. Um, if you have any questions for Starlight, you can reach out to them directly. And um, yeah, and if you like the Skywatcher videos, go ahead and subscribe to our channel. It keeps you up to date with what we're doing. And um, if you guys have any thoughts or questions, um, definitely shoot us an email at support at skywatcherusa.com and just title that What's Up. Um, so uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, Michael, of course, thanks for joining us in the UK. And we'll uh, definitely catch up with you soon. Uh, next week, uh, just so you guys know, uh, we're going to be talking like about astronomy actual astronomy targets so uh next week we're going to be doing um beyond the messier catalog um i have a lot of people who call in and they're just getting started and they're shooting the messier targets um but we're gonna kind of go off the deep end and explore some of the other catalogs beyond just the messiers and the bright ngcs because there's a lot of very unique targets up in the nighttime sky especially as we move into fall um <coughs> excuse me um, you get some really unique stuff floating up there. So we're going to kind of dig into that and go off the deep end um, there. So join us next week. Um, but once again, thanks all for joining us. Have a safe weekend. And Michael, of course, thank you for your time. Well, and, thanks very much for having us. And uh, we, will, we will see you guys uh, next week. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bye-bye.